Well, good morning, CVC and guests online, folks. We're so glad you guys are together. We are in week three of this series called In the Ring. We're looking at marriage. We're talking about how, how can we have marriages that are more about fighting for your spouse rather than with your spouse. And so a couple weeks ago, I laid the foundation by saying, let's go back to the book of Genesis. Let's go back to the very first married couple and, and look at something that was powerful in their marriage, and it was the presence of God. It was that God had created them and this marriage in the garden, and he was present. And so we talked about the, the key to a marriage that doesn't just survive, but thrive, is having God's presence. And I challenge you to pray daily with your spouse and to really kickstart that. I uh, gave you guys something called the 30-Day Prayer Challenge. And uh, maybe you were here, maybe you weren't, but you can still jump in. Uh, I, I don't know how you're doing with that. I know my wife and I have prayed more, which has been great. And so uh, it hasn't been daily, but it's been pretty close. We're excited about that. But you can still jump in. You can text oneness to 88337, and they'll give you daily alerts through email or text messages, giving you just a verse to read, a couple thoughts on that verse and how to pray for your spouse, and then actually prayers. And so that's really a way that we can seek God's presence in our marriage is praying with our spouses. And then last week, Pastor Joe talked about how we can guard our marriage, how we can guard our marriage by rooting it in God's love, rooting it in the gospel. And so just, uh, just the way God designed marriage to be, if we imitate God's love for us to our spouse, then that will help guard our marriage. And so we looked at that. And then uh, when we think about marriage the way we've been talking about it, what we realize is that marriage is this beautiful spiritual union that is ultimately about praising God and giving God glory. Our marriages are supposed to primarily give God glory over even our own love and feelings and attractions and all those things. And so that's our heart's desire. And marriage illustrates God's love for us. When you look in the Bible, God uses marriage language to describe his relationship and his love for the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, when you look in the New Testament, God uses marriage language to describe his love for Jesus and the church. And so really our marriages are supposed to be this reflection of God's love for us. So then I ask us, well, how does God love us? God loves us passionately. God loves us passionately. So if, if God loves us passionately, then we are to love our spouse passionately. And it's this passionate love that will even greater glorify and represent God's love to others. So today we're going to talk about cultivating a passionate love with our spouse. Now, those of you with little kids, uh, this might be a little bit PG. I might use the S word a couple times. So uh, if you're ready for that conversation or honestly need to be ready for that conversation, uh, leave them in here if you feel it's appropriate. Otherwise, you might want to cover their ears every now and then or take them for a little walk. Also, um, just a couple thoughts for our single friends. Uh, we know that uh, the majority of us here are going to be or are married, but some of us are in this room right now and there's pain because of what's going on in our marriages, or there's a longing to be married. We just know there's a variety of emotions when this topic comes up. And so I just want to encourage you, there's something for everybody. I've, I've been greatly encouraged over the last few services as I've had people coming up from different types of stages relationally, just saying what God did for them. And that was encouraging. So uh, one of the ways, if, if marriage is not on your radar right now, a lot of what we've been talking about these few weeks can be fuel for you to know how to pray for couples that you dearly love and also give advice 
because as a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in you, and he's going to bring people to you that you can give advice that's biblical, even if it's not something you're dealing with in your life in that moment. And don't forget, in the New Testament, uh, the majority of the marriage advice we have is from a single person, the Apostle Paul. And so we, we have a voice in marriage no matter what our stage is. So with that in mind, I want you to think about couples that you've seen that have modeled marriage. Now, we've seen a lot of bad examples of couples out there that have modeled marriages for us. Marriages that really do seem like they're more in a boxing ring than, than a garden that God had designed. But there's also many uh, phenomenal examples and mentors and models out there that demonstrate a passionate marriage that both loves Jesus and also uh, loves each other. One couple that comes to my mind immediately was a couple that I that, that made a great impression on me and my wife, Rika, when we were young adults and dating. And it's a couple named Ray and Ruth Scroggs. Ray and Ruth were 80-plus years old. They've been married for decades, okay? And so Rika and I met in church, and we started dating in church. We, we, we dated for four years, and then we were engaged for an additional year. So we were together five years. We're coming up on 25 here in July. So we've been together for quite a bit. And, and we're excited because here's this older couple that they just loved each other, man. And they were passionate about Jesus. They, they did Bible study together. They prayed together. They served together. They worshiped together. They led Bible studies together. Um, they were passionate about Jesus, but they were also passionate about each other. And it was just one of those older couples that you look at and just complete uh, you know, admiration. And so the, they held hands. They kissed. They hugged. There was affection. Uh, I remember he had a car with a bench seat. And so she would just sit right next to him after church, just watching them, you know, both of them, little gray hair, man, just, just going down the road. And they were together. And the way they talked to each other and the way they talked about each other, it was just amazing. And so I just totally admired them. Um, when asked a lot of times what their secret was, they would say it was the Lord. The Lord uh, was the one that kept them together and their love fresh. In fact, I just heard that a few minutes ago. We've got Bob and Elizabeth Hess, an uh, older couple in our church. They're going to be celebrating 70 years married next weekend, which is just nuts. You know, it's amazing. And I asked her, I said, I go, what's the secret? She didn't even blink. She goes, Jesus. I'm like, well, yeah, that's the Sunday school answer. You know, tell me more about that. And she just said, Jesus has been so good to us. And it's just helped our love, you know, be good to each other. And so they're out there. But I'll never forget with Ray and Ruth, we were in a um, young, adult, young adult, young couples uh, seminar. We had a bunch of young couples in there and we did a panel. And we put Ray and Ruth on that panel. And so we were going around and asking questions. And then one gal just couldn't handle it anymore. She's raising her hand and she's like, how do we get to be like you? Like, how do you do that? You know, and she was really intrigued. And, and little Ruth Scroggs, man, she didn't even um, he hesitate. She just said, honey, let me tell you something. She goes, you got to keep the fights mild and the sex spicy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we're all like, no, she didn't just say that. And at the same time, although everyone's jaws on the floor, everyone's going like, well, I, I think she actually has a point. I think she knows what she's talking about. And so uh, they modeled this kind of passionate marriage. Is your marriage on that Ray and Ruth track? Is it on that Bob and Elizabeth Hester? Is your marriage going to have this kind of passion and longevity for the long haul? And how do, you, how do you have a vision for passion in your marriage that's rooted in the Lord? Because here's the deal. God loves us passionately. And so if our marriages are to be a reflection of God's love, then we should have a passionate marriage for our spouse. Not a dull, boring, lifeless, mediocre marriage. But we know that's what's going on. 
I mean, there's marriages in this room right now, you feel it, you know it, you're living it, that your marriage has just like drifted back to like lifeless, mediocre, not a lot of passion, not a lot of spice, any of that stuff. But we're supposed to model God's passionate love for us. So we need to get back to embracing all that God has for us in his gift of marriage, including desire and passion for our spouse. And there's one book of the Bible that's above all books that talks about this type of topic. And it's the Song of Solomon. So I want to invite you into the Song of Solomon. And we're just going to be looking at a handful of verses in chapter 2, all right? We're going to be starting with chapter 2, verse 8. And as you're turning to Song of Solomon 2.8, let me just read the first couple of verses of Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, to get, a, to get some context here. It starts off saying this, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. It's like, boom, right out of the gate, we see God endorsing physical, sensual, erotic, pleasurable, passionate love for a husband or wife. And this is, why would God have a, song, a book like this in his Bible? Because, because his love for us is passionate, and he wants us to see a couple, an example of passionate love. And so that's what we see right out of the gate. Now, Rika, my wife, told me a few days ago that our daughter, Faith, who's eight, uh, sometimes she'll just open the Bible and read, right? So she says, Mom, I'm just going to open the Bible and read to whatever I open to. And so she opens to, guess what? The Song of Solomon. And she starts reading it, and then she closes it and says, I think I need to save this for later. (laughs) Yes, honey, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. It says right there, do not awaken love until it's ready, right? Uh, Well, it's called the Song of Songs because it is a song. And it was written somewhere between 970 to 930 BC uh, during the the reign of King Solomon of Israel. It might have been King Solomon that wrote it. It might have been someone that he delegated it to. But what we see here is a book that's got deep theological meaning. There, There is a connection about how God loves his people. But it's also this narrative of this ancient Middle Eastern couple, the Shulamite woman and her beloved who fall in love. And the book captures their courtship, their marriage, the consummation of their marriage, and the maturing of their marriage. And so it's a phenomenal book. And again, we believe God put it in there because he wants us to see what this looks like, this passionate love that he endorses, that, that he supports, that he created and designed because he loves us passionately. And he wants us to see what it looks like when a man and a woman in marriage love each other passionately as well. And so let's jump into Song of Solomon. And this moment where we're entering is right before they're married. They get married in chapter 3. And so we're leading up to this moment in Song of Solomon 2.8. Join me there. Here's what we see. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Sounds like a creeper, doesn't it? She's liking it, though, so it's okay. Um, It says in verse 10, My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its fruit figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove in the cleft of the rocks, 
in the crannies of the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. And as we see this passage unfold, and really this book unfold, we see this man coming for his beloved and a woman eagerly awaiting for his arrival. And there's this deep desire and there's a deep passion within them as they long to bring their two lives together as one. And I just want to make three observations about a passionate love from these verses. The first we see is this, a passionate love attracts. I want you to think about magnets, right? God gave men certain qualities and attributes as well as their own unique personalities and you know, abilities. And he gave women certain you know, qualities and attributes and personalities, unique abilities. And God designed it that we draw to each other and we attract. And we're designed to be attracted to one another. And that's exactly what's happening here. This couple is absolutely intoxicated with each other. And they're identifying qualities in each other that are just drawing them to each other to attract. That's what's taking place. But this attraction is multi-sensory. It's not just about what they see. It's about what they hear. It's about what they sense. It's about what they feel. It's about what they hope for. Like, listen to some of the things that are said. She says in verse 8, the voice of my beloved. He says, let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Like, even the very sound of the voice gets that heart beating faster. And God designed this attraction to one another, even with the voice. And of course, there's also physical and emotional attraction. Sometimes uh, we downplay that. You know, we're like, well, I'm really attracted to the personality. Well, good, you should be, but you better like the packaging too. It's okay. You don't have to be superficial. God designed part of what we see and experience as part of the package of attraction. And so you see her, the Shulamite woman, calling her man a gazelle or a young stag. And all the guys in the room are thinking, I don't know if I'd want to be called a gazelle, man. That's kind of weird, you know? So there's a bit of this disconnect between 2018 and Western America and ancient, you know, Middle East. But if you go to the Palestine, basically she's probably thinking of one of two critters, all right? One is the mountain gazelle, which you see jumping there, um, and the other is the ibex, which is this phenomenal um, stag that you see up in the mountains with those big horns. And if you go to Israel, like some of you will in fall of 2019 with us, um, you're going to see these things. And they're, they're impressive. I remember one time we were on a on bus going down to the Dead Sea, and a bunch of the gazelles, like, jumped over the road. Like, they didn't, like, jump on the road. They jumped over the road. I was like, man, that's impressive, you know? And then we were up by Masada, and I remember seeing some ibex on the mountains, and they were just, like, walking and jumping over rocks. It was just impressive to watch. She's saying, that's what it's like seeing this guy. He's coming for me, and I'm drawn to him. He's impressive. I love his strength. I love his agility. I love his masculinity. I love his presence. There's just something about him. And so she's drawn to what she's seen and sensing. He refers to her as his beautiful one as his dove, and he says he wants to see her face. 
And so he's enamored by her. He sees her as beautiful. He calls her his dove, which is a reference to the turtle doves and also the mountain pigeons and mountain doves, which you know, nest themselves in the hills, the nooks and the crannies, which we see him refer to later. And these, these critters are known for uh, beautiful plumage. They have intense eyes, but they're also gentle and innocent. So he's drawn to, who, to her physical beauty and to the beauty of her character and what he senses in her. And so you can just see these two lovers are just drawn to one another. And it's part of God's attraction. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this is an ancient Middle East context. And so she's not wearing like a dress that you would see a female celebrity wearing at the Grammys or the Oscars, right? Um, He's not rocking a suit and tie or showing up in tight jeans and tight t-shirt. You're talking about tunics and robes and sashes and head coverings and all these kinds of things. And so there's actually probably greater covering over the areas that our culture exploits, right? And so there's so much mystery wrapped around in their attraction, but they're drawn to one another. And so we see God's endorsement of attraction to one another. It's part of passionate love. A passionate love brings attraction to the other person. And so when you think about your spouse, what attracts you to them? What attracted you to them in the first place? What still attracts you? And as you've been married for a while, what's come online that might be a new attraction? And what is it that you're drawn to? Like, truth be told, I love my wife's hair. I love to run my fingers through her hair. But I also like it when she laughs. When she has an unhindered, unchecked laugh, I just, I love that. It makes, it brings joy to my heart. I love these things. When you think about your spouse, what features do you, are you attracted to? And what internal things do you see? Their spiritual life, their love for God, the way God uses them to minister to other people, maybe their artistic ability, their personality, their intelligence, their perspective. Like God uses all these things to draw us to each other. And you never know what's going to bring attraction. I remember one time we were at a, a, a couple's retreat with about 20 other couples, and we were up at this cabin, and we were having a marriage retreat, and we were circled up, and the question on the table was, what are one of the things that attracts you to your spouse? What's a, what do you find attractive? And there was another kind of Ray and Ruth type couple named Larry and Alice there, and they were married for decades. They were part of leading the retreat, actually, and Alice goes, I just love it when you hooks up the trailer. I'm like... All right, I guess the trailer does it for Alice, man. It's like, okay, she found that attractive. You just don't know what it's going to be. But of course, you know the person you marry is going to change over time, especially physically as the, the body starts to mutiny over the years. Like, Rika used to be able to run her fingers through my hair, and that no longer can happen. And the longer you're married, the more you grow in your multi-sensory attraction with your spouse. You can find just uh, the desire to be with one another attractive. You can find new features. Rika looked at me the other day, and she got this silly little smile on her face. I said, what are you looking at? And she goes, I I think it's kind of handsome. you got these little gray things in your beard now. And I'm like, what? I feel old. What are you talking about? She says, no, I like it. I'm like, well, if you like it, I like it, you know? You have this history together. You can look back over your history. You can reminisce about the good times and the fun times, the playfulness. You can talk about the storms that you've weathered, that's bonded you together. Like attraction over time can actually increase with the maturity of your marriage and with all the multifaceted aspects. 
You know, there's some great insights from a woman named Julie Slattery. She's a psychologist, an author, and a speaker. Um, she's actually going to be doing a conference on June 3rd uh, in Hudson. There's a little card at the Info Center if you're interested. Um, she says this about attraction, and she's speaking to uh, women specifically, but, but the, uh, the concept really applies to all of us. Like, what if you start to lose attraction? She says, while sexual chemistry and attraction are important aspects of a marriage, they can never be the foundation of your love. We know that Christ needs to be the foundation of our love, right? She says, over years of marriage, a new form of attraction is intended to grow. Instead of performing for each other, marriage becomes a safe place to be yourself. Affection and attraction are impacted by what we choose to focus on. Sure, your husband might not have washboard abs or a thick head of hair. Maybe he's more tuned into ESPN than he is to your feelings. Along with his flaws, I know there are things about him others appreciate and you used to appreciate. Does he have beautiful eyes or a kind smile? Is he friendly or hardworking? True love isn't a matter of our choices following our feelings. The opposite is true. Our feelings follow our choices. Your mind is a powerful tool in creating attraction, even after years of marriage. Are you willing to choose to nurture affection and intimacy? I think these are great points that she makes. You know, we see a great example in in a resource we talked about last week on our study guide. We mentioned a couple named Ian and Larissa. You can see their story in their videos. It's a great five minutes uh, at ianandlarissa.com. But basically, we have this young couple that were in love and, you know, looking toward marriage. And then he got in an accident, which uh, caused brain damage. So physically, he became impaired. Mentally, you know, it was a game changer. But he still loved the Lord. He still loved her. And she found herself still attracted to who he was, the whole package. And they ended up getting married anyways. Like, it doesn't have to be just the exterior or just the things that we're drawn to most initially. You don't know how deep attraction can go. And this is a gift from God. And so a passionate love finds attraction. So here's what I want to do. I want to interact with you guys a little bit and give you something to use for later. So in your notes, you'll find uh, three icons. You'll see a magnet there, right? Which is a symbol for attraction and a line. And the thing I want you to write in that line is what is something that attracts you to your spouse? What's something that you find attractive in your spouse? And maybe if you're single, a way you can tweak that is, you know, what are you attracted to in a potential spouse? And maybe you can think of something that's a non-negotiable. Like if they don't have this, it's a, it's a deal breaker. And of course, that's when you start to think about their heart, their life, their relationship with Christ, and all these kinds of things. So uh, we see that this passionate love will attract. We also see that passionate love pursues. As you read and hear these verses, there's an obvious pursuit taking place. The the groom is pursuing his bride. He's coming to her, and he's not letting anything get in the way. He's not letting any obstacles or barriers keep him from the love of his life, and she sees that in him, and she wants those barriers down too. Her heart is pursuing him. And so you see the Shulamite woman speaking of her beloved as one who's leaping over mountains and bounding over hills. And so when you think about the train of the Middle East and what they were seeing when they were writing, there's all sorts of mountain and hills in Israel. One very popular one is Mount Tamor. It's actually one of the traditional possibilities where Jesus was transfigured. And this thing's 1,800 feet above the, the, the sea floor. And so it's, it's within range of Jerusalem and maybe even um, the village that she was from. And so this is the type of hill that she's kind of poet, uh, poetically talking about him leaping over to get to her. And then, of course, once he gets over the big obstacles, the mountains, now there's some middle-sized obstacles. He's got walls. 
He's got windows covered with lattice. You can't quite get to her. And when you look at ancient homes in the Middle East, a lot of them would have a rock wall all the way around it, right? And it would, keep a, it would make a courtyard to keep the animals inside. And then the windows oftentimes would be covered by blankets or wooden pierced lattice. And the lattice was designed to keep that hot sun out and the cool breeze in. And so here he is. He's like, I got over the mountains. Now I got these walls. And now, now I've got this window. I know she's in there somewhere. And she's peeking through the lattice, you know, having a great time watching him, you know, looking for her. And there's this, this pursuit, this mutual pursuit that's taking place. And he's calling to her. He says, arise, my love, and come away. And he uses this reference like, you're like, you're like one of those doves. You're my dove. And it's like you're in this little rock hole in the wall of the mountain. Like, come out of the shade. Come out of the comfort. Come to me. And so he's pursuing her and her heart. She loves it. Her heart's pursuing him and she loves this. In fact, when you go to chapter 3, it starts off with her dreaming and it's, it's capturing her heart's pursuit for him. She says, on my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets and the squares and I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought for him but found him not. And so she's dreaming of this pursuit and so you have this man and woman's desire to be together, to pursue each other. And what I love about this pursuit is obviously it's very sensual. Obviously there's a lot of you know, passion and desire in there. But as you read Song of Solomon, you see that they honor God with that passion. They don't let it get out of control. Basically, they're waiting to consummate their marriage until their wedding night. They're waiting for that sexual intimacy to when it's appropriate as God designed. And so we've talked about this before. God's saying, man, I want your intimacy to be like this big fire. Man, let it burn. Just keep it in the fireplace, all right? Marriage is the fireplace. Keep the fire in the fireplace because what happens when the flame gets out of the fireplace? Something that you don't want to get burned is going to get burned. And a lot of people here from personal experience go, I know what that feels like. I know what you're talking about. And so they're doing a good job going, I love you, I want you, I want to be with you, but I'm going to honor the way that God designed it to be because I want God's best in our relationship. And so you see here this language of pursuit. He's pursuing the one he loves. Now, when Ricky and I started dating, we were in high school, and I didn't have my license yet, but what I did have was a bike. Now, this is not my bike. This belongs to a friend, Jim Sutton. And... Um, and so I was a cyclist. I oftentimes would, you know, two or three times a week cycle 20 to 40 miles. I enjoyed cycling for a season. Um, and so when we dated, she lived, literally, I measured it out with my little computer, from my front door to her front door was 40 miles, okay? But not only that, okay, uh, I lived in Modesto, California, which is at 90-foot sea level. She lived up in the foothills outside of some mining towns in the mountains, just outside of a place called Copperopolis, which is just under 1,000-foot sea level. So not only did I do an 80-mile round-trip ride, I did it uphill, baby. So look, this Shulamite woman, she sees her guy like a stag jumping all over mountains. I was climbing on with a bike, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Switchbacks, ups and downs, cars almost going to kill me. And so I, I, just, I had to see this girl. I had to see this girl that I was, you know, attracted to. And so I rode up there. It was such, it was so worth it. Not only did I get to see her and visit with her, it was the first time she cooked for me. And she made me her French toast, man. Woo! It was worth the ride. And so, um, yeah. But how are you pursuing your spouse? How are you pursuing? How are you biking after them? How, how are you climbing after them? Because if we're going to be honest, some of us have stopped 
Stop pursuing our spouse. Or even worse, your spouse is pursuing you, but when they show up, there's no one home. You don't let them. And so after a while, they just give up. And then pretty soon, lifeless, mediocre marriage. Who, who wanted a mediocre marriage? Who stood across from a man or woman and said, hey, I'll take you to have this kind of like lukewarm sort of kind of cool thing? No, we, we want passion in our marriage. God wants passion in our marriage because he loves us passionately. And he wants us to pursue the ones we love passionately. And so how are you doing that? You know, in your notes there, you'll see a little bike <laughs> and a line. And on that line, here's what I challenge you to write down. A couple, a couple options for you. One, how do you or will you pursue your spouse? For some of you, you've stopped. Maybe you need to go back to some things that you know are meaningful to your spouse. You say, this is how I'm going to begin to pursue my spouse again. Not based on what you think they, you know, you want to do, but what you think would be meaningful to them. Okay? Uh, another fun thing you can put on there, maybe in parentheses, maybe you can write down, how do you like to be pursued by your spouse? And, and you take these answers and, and use them not now, but a little bit later in the next few days as a conversation starter. Share your answers and have conversations around these things. As a single, you can tweak that. You can be like, what's my plan for pursuing my spouse? Because quite honestly, you've got a lot of young guys playing video games in a basement and you want to know why you're not married. You know what? You've got to pursue the spouse. And some of the sisters in the room are like, hey, amen, can you say that again? Okay? And so, like, what's your plan to pursue your future love? What's appropriate? What's not appropriate? Or how do you want to be pursued? Like, play with that and modify that a little bit because you see that if you want passion in your marriage, you've got to pursue your spouse because the passionate love pursues. And we also see thirdly here that a passionate love protects. A passionate love protects. The groom is poetically referring to their passionate love in the way of spring. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. He says, The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. He's saying, man, our relationship is at hand. Our marriage is at hand. It's like springtime. We get that here in Cleveland, don't we? We get it, man. This is one of the things that transitioned from California that was like a major learning curve for me, okay? Then the winter, everyone hibernates. You know, trees become ugly-looking sticks and all this kind of stuff. And then, like, we got an extra month of the winter. Everybody was like Mr. and Mrs. Grumpy Pants for like an extra month, you know, because the sun wasn't coming out and the temperature wasn't changing. And then all of a sudden, it's like the green came, you know? buds on trees and now leaves and the birds start to sing. And it's like, I want to walk outside. I want to be outside. Why would I want to stay inside? I've been inside for six months. I want to be outside. You know, that, 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 that pull of spring. This is what he's saying. Man, it's time. Our marriage is like spring. All the senses are heightened for this couple. And so he's saying our marriage, our love is like a vineyard. And it's got blossoms. It's got buds and the grapes are coming out and it's going to bring a beautiful harvest. And so he's saying there's this vineyard of love that they have, but there's a threat. There's a threat to the vineyard, and the threat is the foxes, all right? The foxes. Looks cute, right? Cute little fox, not so good for the vineyard. See, Palestine has a lot of little foxes. And what they typically do is they get into the vineyard. In fact, the word for fox, if you study the original language, has to do with digging or hollowing out. Think about when guys in the military dig a what? Foxhole, right? And so a fox will dig at the roots of the vines. 
And they'll gnaw on the roots, gnaw on the tree. And then when there's flowers and buds and grapes, they get up and eat the grapes, eat the buds, eat the vines. And so if, you're a, if you have a vineyard and you don't look for the little foxes and catch them, uh, your vines are going to be seriously damaged or your vineyard could actually be destroyed. And so look at verse 15. They say, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And so this couple is determined to protect their relationship from the little foxes that are trying to gnaw on it and nibble on it. And notice it says little foxes, right? We're not talking about like massive wolves. We're not talking about elephants. We're talking about little foxes. How many of you know that little issues and lots of them accumulated over time cause a big problem? And that's what's happened to a lot of marriages. Lots of little issues over the course of time build up and cause a problem. As I was studying this, I reflected back on a movie I remember watching with my kids, right, several times. And a scene from that movie came back to my mind, and I think it really captures what we're trying to see here. So let's watch this from A Bug's Life. <laughs> there was that ant that stood up to me. Yeah, but we can forget about him. Yeah, it was just one ant. Ooh, <laughs> one ant. <laughs> You're right. It's just one ant. Yeah, boss. They're puny. Hmm. Puny? Say, let's pretend this brain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> nope. Well, how about this one? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, how about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. I think the point's clear, right? That's exactly what has happened to a lot of marriages. A lot of these little foxes have come into the marriage. Oh, it's just this little thing, no big deal, we can manage that. Oh, it's just this little thing, it's not an issue, we can let that go. And then over and over and over again, all the foxes come in and they've been chewing, digging, nibbling, and they do great damage on the marriages. Now, we could probably sit here for about 20 minutes and make a very long, thorough list of all the things that could be foxes in a marriage, all the little selfish acts, all the ways we use our time uh, that erode uh, marriages. But I just, for the sake of time, want to offer a few. There's a pastor who sits with couples and listens to couples. I want to talk about a few of the foxes that people are letting in to just ruin their vineyards, okay? The first one is this. It's the little screens that glow in your hand. The phones and the devices, and the TVs even. Man, couples surrender a lot of time to the screens. And what happens is there's, you only have so much time together to be face-to-face, but instead of being face-to-face, you've got two people sitting at a table face-to-screen, and they're not connecting. They're not looking eye-to-eye. And you know what's so sad about that? A lot of times the place that couples look at their phones is in bed. The bed is for two things, sex and sleep, Okay? It's not to sit there scrolling the lives of other people. I want you to think about that. Before you're married, you're like, I can't wait for this moment. I can't wait to be married to this person, in bed with this person. And the last thing you had on your mind was like, hey, we're just going to be looking at our phones, right? But all of a sudden, you fast forward, and now you are side by side with this person you love, and you're looking at the lives of other people. Why? That's just bizarre. 
And so like one of the little foxes that couples have to catch is less device time that's stealing from their relationship, siphoning energy, siphoning face-to-face connection. The other is, and there's just, there's just a few, the house. Look, there's nothing wrong with having a house, an apartment, decorate, have fun. But if you spend more time playing with your house than playing with your spouse, there's going to be a problem. Over time, that's going to erode your vineyard. That's going to gnaw on your relationship. Hobbies. Hobbies are good. Got to have some time to do some things that are life-giving. But hobbies, if, it's, if you're spending all that money, time, energy, over the course of a long haul, that's going to do damage to your relationship. And right now, and I know I'm going to step on toes, but I'm with you. Man, I've got, I've got a 15 going on 16-year-old. I've got a 14 going on 15, and I've got an 8-year-old. I get it. But one of the things right now that's siphoning the life, one of the biggest foxes for couples is the busyness of life, specifically with kids and kids' activities. And what happens, you start to listen to couples, and it's like, man, your life has been reduced to being an Uber driver, right? You're just this Uber driver going here, 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 everywhere, and then all of a sudden you have all these activities, and you're out five, six, seven days a week for all these sports and activities, all these things, and then the couples come together and they're fatigued. And they want to know why they have no energy for each other, no time for each other, no patience with each other. You're running around like crazy. You got to look for these little foxes. And it says here, let us catch them. I just want to tell you right now, when this passage talks about catching the foxes, they're not talking about catch and release, okay? They're not talking about catch them and take them to the zoo. They're not talking about catching them and like, you know, making them pets. They're talking about catching them. They're gone because they were pests. They were rodents. They were destructive. Any couple that decides that they're just going to let the foxes have a heyday in their vineyard, your marriage is on a ticking time bomb. You've got to catch them and make changes. What needs to change in your schedule? What needs to change in your commitments? What needs to change in your relationship so that the little foxes don't just shred your vineyard to pieces? And so in your notes, there's a little fox. And there's a lion. And here's why I encourage you to write. What's a fox that right now is currently eating on your vineyard? <laughs> what is the fox that's digging holes or chewing on your vineyard and causing damage? And what are you going to do about it? Because if you want more passion, then you've got to catch those foxes. And when you catch them, you're going to see more passion in your relationship come together. As the Song of Solomon reveals so vividly, marriage is a beautiful thing, a gift from our gracious God, and we treasure that gift. And we need God's help as the master vinekeeper to help keep the foxes out and help pursue and to help find that attraction. One of God's goals for us in marriage, that even with its potential pain and difficulties, marriage should be an arena of enjoyment for his redeemed people. A relationship of passionate love. And so we have to get back to that. And so we come full circle from where we started. If this God wants us to have a passionate focus on our spouse because he's got a passionate love for us, it reminds us of God's passionate love. Think about it. God's love is also attractive. Like when you think about who we are, we're so rebellious and we're so sinful and we just run from God. And, and, and we're so messy. When God looks at us, we're thinking, what could you possibly be attracted in? And it's like, God's there, and he looks at us, and we're like, he can't see anything that draws us to himself. But he does. And we look at God, and when you study God and realize, this is God who made me, created me, loves me, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness just draws us to him. The way God loves us draws us to him, attracts us to him. 
And so praise God that he loves us so passionately that his love becomes attractive. Also, God's love pursues. It was mentioned earlier, the Bible tells us that we love because God first loved us. God initiated the relationship. He asked us out. He asked us to marry him. And so he pursues us. We run, he pursues. We hide, he calls us out. He invites, we respond. So God is one who pursues us in his passion. When we think about the love of God, we don't think about a bike. We think about the cross, right? I mean, you don't send your son to die on the cross for someone you kind of like. You don't send your son to die on the cross for someone you kind of have puppy love for. You only send your son to die on the cross for someone you passionately love. He laid down his life for us, and he pursues us no matter what condition we're in. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And sometimes we feel like we're just unlovable by God. We've done something that he just doesn't want to love us anymore. I love what Nancy Lee DeMoss, a Christian author and radio host, said in relation to this understanding. She said, we may feel that we have thrown his love away and will never experience it again. But even in that moment of shameful separation in the garden, there was hope. As God, the eternal lover, took the initiative to restore the estranged couple to fellowship by means of a sacrifice, he tenderly, lovingly clothed them in the skin of animals and set in motion the events whereby man might be ultimately reunited with him. She's referencing the cross, right? And all the time, God never stopped loving, never stopped communicating, never stopped seeking, never stopped initiating just as he never stops loving and seeking you and me. God's passionate love for you pursues you. And then God's love is so passionate that it protects. When you think about the cross, you think about the resurrection of Jesus, that God protects us. Those who are in Christ have the promise of heaven. It's guaranteed. Also, he's protected us from the the, uh, power of sin. He's protected us from the power of the grave through the resurrection, our own future resurrections for those of us who are in Christ. And so his passion love protects. We're forever his when we come to Jesus. And so as we talk about a message like this, some of you, like you've got to get your spiritual marriage on track first. Some of you don't even know the Lord. Whether you're watching online or sitting here, some of you don't even know the Lord. You, You do church, you do the religious stuff, but you actually don't have the relationship You've kind of flirted with God, but you've never said, I do. The first thing you need to do is take a step back to the one who's invited you into a relationship, who's pursued you. And it's very simple. You just admit the mess you are. You just say, God, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I'm broken, but I'm turning to you right now. I'm turning to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the grave. Come into my life. I want to follow you. You just tell the Lord that. And if you do, before you leave today, there in your program is a response section. And on that is a spot to say, I'm giving my life to Christ. It's the equivalent of saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus. And so mark that, turn it in in the baskets. They're going to come around in a little bit. And we'll get in touch with you to tell you how to grow in this relationship with Jesus. Some of you, you are so far from God, you know Christ, but you just have ran. And you've let a bunch of little foxes nibble away at your relationship with the Lord. You're not in the Word. You're not praying. You're not in Christian fellowship. All these foxes have come in. You've got to catch those foxes, get rid of them so you can come back into this amazing relationship with the God who loves you. And as far as our marriage is concerned, here's the application I have for you. I gave you three lines with three things to say. Circle back around with your spouse. Talk about these things. 
Share your answers, your questions and answers. And I encourage you to do it on a date. Sometimes it's just so easy to, to not date our spouse. And just so you know, running errands is not a date. Can we just all agree on that, all right? Going to Target is not a date, all right? A date is sitting somewhere side by side or face to face and doing this thing called talking, all right, and interacting and all these kinds of things. And so I encourage you to talk about this stuff on a date. Now, because we know so many of you struggle financially or just time-wise, we want to give you a little incentive. We so want to invest in you as CVCers. So if you've got kids and you need to get on a date or special needs or even adult parents are taking care of at home that, you keep, that prevents you from getting out, uh, for the next two weeks, uh, we want to give you a $30 reimbursement one time for childcare. And so you can find this information in your program that you can get childcare, uh, $30 reimbursement online, fill it out, we'll get you to get you out to talk to your spouse and go on that date. And again, if, if this is a season of life that doesn't fit, I encourage you maybe to take this information and find yourself in Christian community as a single or someone who's, who's mourning right now and, and just share. It's so interesting. I had a, a man, Bill, who, who's a dear friend of CVC, came up to me after the service and he came up. His wife died last week. And he's tears in his eyes. He says, I'm still pursuing my wife. He's still taking care of her. He still has, like, it doesn't matter what our age or stage of life is. There's ways to find application here. Find it because God loves us passionately. And he wants us to love our spouse passionately. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we had together. Father, I first pray for our relationship with you, our spiritual marriage, if you will. Lord, everything flows from that. Everything roots in that. Everything rests on that. Lord, we confess, we admit right now, that we have let some foxes into our relationship with you. We've let distractions keep us from your word. We've let distractions keep us from talking to you and listening to you and spending time with you and dating you, if you will. So Father, help us to catch those foxes and get back on track where we spend time with you. Father, help us to let our love for you be passionate. Thank you for your passionate love for us, Lord. And God, let that passionate love flow into our marriages. Lifeless, dull marriages don't give a great glory uh, to our Savior. And so help us to have passion, Lord, that shows the world the love of our God displayed through our marriage. And Father, I pray for every marriage here. Some are healthy, some are hurting. Lord, meet them in a the place of great need right now. Father, help stir passion that attracts that pursues and that protects in them because of our time today. Glorify us through our lives and through our marriages, all for your purposes. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's worship.